I'm going to begin by telling you what I'm going to tell you at the end. I'm going to break all the rules of public speaking, all the rules of how to deliver a message, because I want this to remain in your thoughts, if nothing else. I, I know what that means. I mean, many times you leave church and we say, what did he say? I don't know. So what I want you to remember is that nobody can influence everyone, but everyone can influence someone. Nobody can influence everyone, but everyone can influence someone. <clears throat> There's a fundamental question that we need to ask, that I need to ask, and I know you do too, and that is, if I am to follow someone, whether it be in a sports uh, arena, whether it be in a musical arena, whether it be in a political arena, it is essential that I know what he or she is doing. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, the same thing is true. I have to ask the question, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then follow that with what do you want me to do? And when I ask the question, what are you doing? Uh, sometimes I'm not too sure when I look at the world today. And neither are you. Neither are you. Look at all the tragedy. Look at all the bloodshed. Look at all the wars. In Sunday, in, uh, Sunday school this morning, that we heard about uh, the Khmer Rouge that wiped out seven million people and just a landscape of skulls and bones. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, the answer brings, comes back that I have to hold on to my faith that he is God. But nonetheless, I ask the question, can he see? Can he hear? Can he stop these things? And the answer is, yes, he can see. Yes, he can hear. Yes, he can stop these things. For the moment, he doesn't. So I, we, need to remain faithful. And God has not hidden his face from his children. He has not called them to a blind obedience, which I personally detest. He's explained to us exactly what he wants us to do. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, he says, come, let us reason together. God invites, he invites conversation. He invites questions. So, with a simple reading of the scriptures, I come up with three ideas. Number one, there's bad news. Number two, there's good news. And number three, there's better news. Better news, despite all of the problems. And God directs us, he has directed me directly to what I want to do. So what's the bad news? The bad news is that humanity is born separated from God. And a couple of verses on that, just to be sure that we follow what the scripture says. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man. That's pretty sad, isn't it? And it's not much different than today. Another verse that repeats the same thing is found in Isaiah chapter 59. 
Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot see, save, neither is his ear so dull that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. Humanity, men, women, children are born separated from God because of sin. I can say I don't like that. That doesn't change anything. That doesn't change anything. I can say that's not fair. That doesn't change anything. That doesn't change anything. But what I can do is go to the good news that the scripture declares, and the good news is found throughout the New Testament. Uh, I use a particular set of verses in Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> and he says there, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. The righteousness that we need, the purity of soul that we need by the washing away of our sins comes through faith in Jesus Christ and no other way. No other way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, teaches us just about the best deal a person could ever have. It says, he made him, talking about Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about that, my friends. At the moment of salvation, God takes all of our sin and places it on Jesus Christ, who died for us. And he takes all of his righteousness and places it on the person who believes in Christ. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Better than anything you get at the car mart, better than anything you can get anywhere. Everything is taken care of because of Christ's death. And then the result, and here's where it starts to get a little sticky. The result, I like to use the passage in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, or actually chapter 2, <clears throat> where it says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that it may, in it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and coming to him as a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. Now, we often use the image of the body of Christ different parts of the body that aren't that nice to look at, but nonetheless, they're important. Here he uses the image of stones. Stones. We are stones. Believers are stones. And they are brought into this, into this building, if you will, brought into this building, and they are to work together. Now, do you know how difficult it is to work with stones? Stones are very resistant. They rub against one another. They crack each other. They cause trouble. 
in being put together unless you get a mortar or a cement of some type and place the stones in that mortar or cement. We are stones, and this building is now being built by Christ himself to do something, to do something, not just to exist, but to do something. And the answer is found a little further on, uh, verses uh, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that, that you may... <coughs> uh, <laughs> that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the purpose of the building. That's the purpose of the stones in the building, to proclaim his excellence. The Church of Jesus Christ is a bundle of living stones. And you know what that means. That means that we have to put up with some of the stones we don't like. That means that we have to change some of our ways because as a stone, I know I irritate others and you irritate others. But the purpose in that growth is to proclaim his excellencies, his excellencies, right? Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? And I would offer to you that we do that in one way. Be careful here. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said simply, Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. And he was talking to 11 men there. He was talking to 11 stones that were quite difficult, I imagine. We're not talking about the top-notch of society here. We're talking about fishermen. We're talking about tax collectors. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. How? baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That's good news. That's good news. These stones that have been converted now have a purpose. The building has a purpose to go forth. Go forth. And so that's what I think I would understand that the building of stones is to do. And the next question is, where do you do that? Where do you do that? And I would offer to you that the answer is found in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says simply, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So we think, what? Me? Us? These living stones? We're supposed to go all the way out there? Uh, doesn't the Lord know that I've got to be at work at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning? Doesn't he know that uh, another child is going to be born into the family? 
later this year? Doesn't he know of the importance of Havertown? Well, the answer is yes, he does know. But that doesn't change what he said to do. Because this building of living stones at Eagle and Darby Road is just as responsible for the uttermost parts of the earth as any other building. Just as responsible. So how do we do that? How do we practically be involved with getting to the uttermost parts of the earth? Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> it says there, there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Oh, that's quite a roster. That's quite a roster. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Now, can you just imagine the other four or five saying, wait a minute, Lord, you don't understand, we're busy here. We need these guys, we need Barnabas and Saul. You converted Saul on the, the road to Damascus, you took him away, you filled his mind with the proper theology, now we need him here, and the Holy Spirit said, nope. Send them out, send them out. And there's no indication whatsoever that this group of believers, this group of stones was doing anything wrong. They were living for the Lord, working for the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, I want these two, send them out. Verse three, <clears throat> then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This is what God is doing. This is what God is doing. He's touching these buildings of stones and saying, I want this person, I want those people, while you are working, while you are ministering, those you send away. What would happen if the Holy Spirit took that role this morning here? If he came in and said, I want this person, this couple, this young lady, this young man. Would you be willing to go? Would the church be willing to send you? Because what's the goal? That the stones would work to meeting the uttermost parts of the earth by proclaiming his excellencies. And that is better news. That goes all the way from people who are lost in sin converted to Jesus Christ, and now have a purpose in life. Take the gospel far away. Here's a practical example. If I can get this thing to work. On. Okay. This is not very easy to see. That's what we're dealing with, my friends. That's the world as it is today. And we're right on the verge of 8 billion people. 8 billion people. And according to our theology, I hope yours is still the same as mine, if a person doesn't come to Jesus Christ 
while they are in this life, they spend eternity away from God. So what, what are we going to do? What is this building of stones going to do to change that? And it's incredible, as you can see. The largest population is India, and then you have China, and uh, various portions around the world. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. I just shut it down, turn on the TV, watch the Eagles this afternoon. I can't be bothered with that. But every once in a while, oops, people come along. In 1985, this building of stones sent out the melons. Now, that's not a 1985 picture, as you can tell. Okay? But nonetheless, it's a picture of the melons. I can't remember what year this was taken. And, they, and we were sent out to proclaim His Excellencies somewhere in France, wound up in Chambéry, and started working. And here's the result. Paul and Julie Vines. <clears throat> Paul is a Brit. He came to Chambéry as an uh, English assistant I, uh, in 1998. Four years later, Julie came to Chambéry. Someone had given her my phone number, and she was a uh, member of the university work for two years. Then she went to Spain, then she went to the uh, Bible Institute in, uh, in Geneva, and finally, they were married. Today, they're in Zambia. Zambia. He runs a school. Paul runs a school, and the Julie homeschools her girls, and uh, vibrant witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ because you prayed, you gave, and we went. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then, Joyce and Sarah Gega. Both of them are products of the university work. And you can see their guardian angels right there behind them. Okay? Joyce and Sarah Gega. Today, uh, both of them are on the police force in Chambéry, laboring for the Lord, laboring in the sense of carrying a testimony and active in the local church. Why? Because you gave, you prayed, and we went. Next, we have Teddy Thomas. Teddy Thomas came to the FU in 2011 or 2012. <clears throat> I followed him up, answered his questions. He came to Christ, and then he took off like a rocket. It was amazing, just amazing. God reached in, put his hand on Teddy. His mother is a confessed lesbian. He has never, ever met his father. And God touched him. And now he is in Toulouse with his wife, Marjolaine, and they are laboring there for two more years, and then they'll go somewhere else, probably in France, to establish a work. He was a phenomenal witness at the university work. After them comes a young lady named Christine, Christine Vogel. She's a daughter of German missionaries that were in the north of France, but she came down to do her master's in Chambéry, came to the FU, and after that, after vowing never to go to a Bible Institute, wound up at the Bible Institute, did her time there, and now she is in Tunisia. She's in Tunisia because you prayed, you gave, and we went. 
And then we have Feifei and Nufi. And these are the people who are responsible for the university work today. Feifei and Nufi. Feifei came to the firm in 2015. When I shook hands with him, I said, how long have you been in Chambéry? He said, a year. I said, how come you didn't come last year? And he didn't have an answer. He's, he's Malgash, which means he came from Madagascar, which is a cesspool of theology, an absolute cesspool. It's a combination of Roman Catholicism, Pentecostalism, and voodoo. And we started studying the Bible together. He was in law at the university. And I said, Feifei, what would you like to do in your life? He said, I would like to study the Bible. So he went to the, to the institute in Geneva, and when I visited him there in his room, he said, I can't believe it. I'm here studying God's word in Switzerland. Can you imagine? While he was at the university work, he brought a young lady by the name of Nufi. And the first time I met Nufi, I said to her, well, Nufi, what do you think of Jesus Christ? And she said, ah, I don't want to talk about it. And she left the room. And I thought, boy, there's a hot one. There's a hot one. I got to find out more about her. About seven or eight months later, she got saved. And she is a clear testimony for the Lord. Through, a, through various events, including the pandemic, they moved into the university building, which we own, and now they run the whole show. And uh, God moved in a miraculous way. Feifei and Nufi. So that's how this edifice, this group of stones, reaches the uttermost parts of the earth. Can we all go? No. We can all participate by prayer and by giving. Now I'm going to show you a picture. Jim, where are you? Jim, uh, Jim here it comes. Whom I think is probably the most effective disciple maker to hit the United States. In 2017, the Philadelphia Inquirer ran this article, and you can look him up on Wikipedia. His name is Speedy Morris, and Speedy Morris was a feared basketball coach in the Philadelphia area. He coached for 50 years at St. Joe's Prep, at Roman, and LaSalle University. Now, this is a purely secular man. It's a purely secular paper. But look at that picture of coaches, not players, coaches that he has put into the work of basketball. And this is how they presented him. And when I saw this, when I saw this in the Inquirer, I said, what if my picture were in the center? Would I have? people around who are now doing the work of the ministry, either full-time or in their jobs? Or would there be a bunch of blanks? He gave his life to basketball. Am I not right, Jim? And this is the result. People went out, and this picture doesn't show those that these coaches touched, and then touched, and then touched. It seems to me that that's the way God wants it. That's the way God wants it. So I end with the phrase that I began. Everyone, everyone in this room can influence someone 
Nobody can influence everyone, but everyone can influence someone. And isn't that a comforting thought? In my walk this afternoon with the Lord, my walk tomorrow, your walk during the week, I fly back to France next week. We can be on the lookout for those people in whom God is laboring, and we can be involved in developing disciples. We can be involved. Praise the Lord. It's a better way. Before I pray, I'll tell you about <clears throat> a book. I have three books, if that interests you. This is an old, old book. The Master Plan of Evangelism was written in 1962. I only have three of them. And if you're interested in reading it, then you can come. I'll ask you one question. And if you answer the question correctly, I will give you one of the three books. <laughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Eternal Father, we know exactly where you're going. We know exactly what you want. We know exactly what we need to do, and that is be aware. As the Apostle Paul asked for prayers in Colossians chapter 4, he said that people would simply pray, the Colossians would simply pray, that the door would be open for the gospel. And that's what we want, Lord. And then making disciples. And that this edifice, this group of living stones, would be involved to the very end in reaching the uttermost parts of the earth. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that Jesus Christ took my sins, the sins of the world on him, and now gives me his righteousness. In his name I pray. Amen.